Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. What if you were a member of the United States Armed Forces and you were given a mission and from the beginning of that mission you were told that the mission would lead to your death but that your death would save many lives? First, would you accept such a mission? And if so, how would you feel when that mission was drawing to a climax and you knew that your death was near? That's exactly where our new series begins from the Gospel of John for Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a human being, and he came on a mission from the Heavenly Father. It was a mission to die. But his death would redeem many people, people like you and like me. Here's what Jesus said in John 6, verses 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Our sermon series is entitled Mission Redemption. And we're going to be looking at the last part of Jesus' journey to the cross and then ultimately the empty tomb. We'll begin in John's Gospel in chapter 15. And it's going to be a little bit like we are walking in the middle of a movie but yet we're going to see that last segment of his journey that leads to Palm Sunday and finally to Easter Sunday. So let me give you a little bit of the setting in which our story begins. It is Thursday night before crucifixion on Friday. Some very significant events have already taken place. Jesus has spent time in the upper room with his disciples where he took on the garb and the role of a servant and washed their dirty feet. He is engaged in that final meal with his disciples that has become the pattern for us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion. Judas has already stolen away into the night with the intent to betray Jesus to the Pharisees. Jesus has already talked to Peter, predicting his upcoming betrayal. And Jesus has promised the disciples the coming of the Holy Spirit when he has returned to heaven. And as we join the narrative, Jesus and the disciples are walking along through the darkness on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is on his way to fulfill his mission, his mission to bring redemption. And he's telling the disciples what it is they need to do 
to become messengers of the gospel. And he's telling them that it all begins with their relationship with him, as it does for us. Here's what he said in John 15, verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He was telling the disciples that night, and he's telling us today, it's not about what you can do for me. It's about what I can do through you. And he is saying to them and to us, you are entrusted with the greatest good news the world has ever known. And so he says in verse 11 of John 15, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus was on a mission, a mission to bring redemption to all who would believe. And the reason behind it all was the love of the Heavenly Father for us. Which means, because we are loved, we can love each other. So our focal passage today is John's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 12, and we'll go through verse 17. You will hear the theme from the very beginning of the passage, and you'll hear it all the way through. John 15, beginning with verse 12. Jesus said, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now notice he begins not saying, this would be a good idea. This is a helpful suggestion for you. No, it's a command. And some might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, a command to love? You can't command somebody to love somebody else. That's a feeling from the heart. And I would tell you that definition of love comes from watching too many Hallmark Channel Christmas movies during the holidays. How many of you saw at least one? Come on, fess up. At least one? Yeah, yeah. Even a few men admitted it. You're secure in your manhood. If you've watched those movies, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, boy meets girl, and they feel all ooey-gooey, ushy-mushy, and, you know, then there's a problem, and then they work out the problem, and they live happily ever after. They're all the same plot line, right? And it's all this same image of love. Well, love is a feeling, but love is so much more. Love is not just a feeling. It's a fruit of the Spirit for the Christ follower. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If you abide in Christ, if he controls your attitudes, your words, and your actions, he will produce love in you through the Holy Spirit. 
And that desire to love will flow naturally. There's a well-known Christian pastor who has challenged his congregation and all those who hear him in his national ministry to ask a question of themselves on a, a daily basis in almost any circumstance and situation that as a follower of Christ, we ought to continually ask ourselves this question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? If the love of Christ is in me and I want his love to be revealed through me, then what should I say or how should I act or what should I do in any given situation for that love to be revealed? And we have been given the greatest example of sacrificial love in the world in Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said in verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Mm. Lay down one's life? I mean, let's get honest. It's getting pretty hard just to find Christ followers who are willing to be considerate and respectful toward one another. To be kind, to, to care, to, to show respect and consideration. To not be condescending toward those with whom they disagree about masks or vaccines or politics or fill in the blank. Just... just to be nice to one another for crying out loud, let alone lay down your life. But you know what I've learned about Jesus? He means what he says. He actually means it. And we have not only the Holy Spirit within us as we seek to abide with Christ, we have the clear teaching of Scripture. Scripture teaches us to consider others as better than ourselves. Scripture teaches us to think of the needs of others before demanding our own rights. Scripture teaches us to be kind to others rather than trying to push our opinions down their throat. Scripture teaches us that the witness of the gospel is more important than our own opinions or ideas. Do we believe this stuff or not? If we do, then our actions will show it. Jesus said in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. You see, I think he's saying real love is not just words. It's proven by our actions. Our words can and do convey love or a lack of love. But what is the definitive proof of whether or not we really believe what we say we believe is what we do. To prove whether or not our confessed beliefs in Jesus as Lord and the Scripture is true is whether or not we actually put into action those things we say we believe. 
or to put it in a simple mathematical equations, words plus obedience equals love. Words minus obedience equals hypocrisy. We are to obey him. And we have a clear command in this passage. And we don't obey him out of a sense of being in bondage or because we live in fear of the consequences that might come if we disobey him. No, we obey him because of his great love for us and because we love him. And because in him we have a new relationship with the Father by grace through faith. We are no longer sinners separated and alienated from a holy God. We have become his children. Here's how Jesus said it in verse 15. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. Do you get that? Jesus is saying, you're not just some human tool I use to carry out my commands. No, he said, you are my friends. Everything the Father told me, I have shared with you. Jesus was saying to those of us who are Christ followers, who are his children by grace through faith in him, you are my partners in the mission the Heavenly Father has given me. You are my ambassadors. You speak and act on my behalf. You are my children. You have been adopted into the royal heavenly family of faith. Oh, do you get this, my Christ follower, brother and sister? This is a high heavenly calling. Jesus goes on, verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you Whatever you ask for using my name. Boy, there's a whole sermon right there. But Jesus is saying to us in that verse, with relationship comes responsibility. Responsibility. We're called to be fruitful, to abide in him, to live in his love, to walk in his power, to impact others for Christ. And then Jesus ends this section with the core command of the passage, the one with which he began the passage. And we must not walk away from this time together missing this message. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. But what does that even mean? I mean, I mean, who's included in that? So let me try to kind of reflect on the, the truth of the passage and parse it out a little bit. Uh, first of all, I think it means love your family, right? 
If you are married, you should love your spouse with a sacrificial, servant-hearted love. If you are a parent, you should love your children. If you are a grandparent, you should love those grandkids. Can I get an amen there? Yeah, I, I mean, you're supposed to love your family, but you know, guess what? Even the mafia does that. So that's not so hard. Love your family. Okay, got that. How about this? It's a little harder. Love those who don't know Christ. Love those who are far from faith. Love those who don't yet see the world like you see the world, who don't understand eternity as you understand eternity, who don't love the Savior like you love the Savior, who don't believe the Bible like you believe the Bible, who don't think and act and talk like you think and act and talk, but are people for whom Christ died, people who need the gospel, people who desperately need to see Jesus in somebody that's convincing, people who are willing to do what we talked about two weeks ago in the sermon called Be Persuasive. If you missed it, go back and and listen to it not because I preached it, but that truth is worth hearing. And it's, it, it basically is saying we are to find common ground. The Apostle Paul said this, not me. We're to find common ground with people who are far from Christ, no matter how different they might be than us. We're to try to find some common ground so we can connect with them, befriend them so that they will give us a little bit of credibility and listen to the gospel. We have to earn a hearing in the hearts and minds of those who are not yet Christ's followers. And here's the deal. If we do that out of obligation, that'll last about that long. It has to be out of love. We will not win anybody to faith in Christ. We're not willing to love. To love. And sometimes when we struggle to love people who are so different than us, I think we forget what we were before we came to Christ and how desperately we needed to be loved and where we might be if somebody who knew Christ hadn't loved us and shared the gospel with us. Well, here's another group. Love your brothers and sisters in the faith. Love those who who are a part of the family of God. Uh, No matter how difficult they may be. Let's just be honest. Some of us are difficult to love. I mean, some of us are kind of odd-shaped sometimes. But there is something beautiful about the love that Christian brothers and sisters have for one another. And we're working hard in this church so that we can love people of every generation. Let's be honest. We don't like some of the same things. You don't like the music in the other two services. You may not like some of the things that that the younger generation thinks or feels, but they've got to find their own path to following Jesus. And they need your love and you need their love to help one another. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture says the world will know that you're mine by how you love each other. 
Well, one more group, and this one I'm going to drill down just a little bit deeper in application. Love your close friends. Uh, I'll bet you'll say amen to this. If you have close friends, they are a treasure. They're worth their weight in gold to you. Aren't they? I mean, how blessed are we to have close friends? So how do we do that? So I want to I spend just this last little application section talking about what does a godly friendship look like? How do you love close friends well? Marks of a godly friendship, all right? Here's a few. Number one, in a godly friendship, you're more concerned with being a friend than having a friend. You're looking for how you can be that kind of friend, not just constantly what can you receive from from that. You're more concerned with being Jesus in a real way to that friend than what you might get out of that friendship. Well, here's another. In a godly friendship, you don't have to agree on everything, and you're willing to learn from each other. You know what I've figured out? I don't know everything. I thought they'd get an amen or two, but I, I don't know. Maybe my wife, it's the only time she didn't name me. I don't know everything, and I'm not right about everything. And when, <laughs> I heard that through the mask. Good job, baby. And when you have a close friend, you can learn from one another. If you're willing to take the time to really listen and to understand. And you may not change your mind on some things. You may, and here's another kind of aspect of this, you may just have to agree to disagree and you love one another in spite of that. You don't always have to agree on everything and you're willing to listen to one another. Well, here's, here's another one. You don't place demands or expectations on your friendship, but you give of yourself to meet the needs of your friends. There are some people who want to be your friends, but they got a list of stuff they expect of you if you're going to be their friends. And if you're, if you're not meeting up to those things, they have those little jabs that kind of slip in there every now and then. That's not godly friendship. It's not about putting demands or expectations. You just let your friendship flow. You just love one another. And you let the Lord just kind of bring you together in those times that he ordains for you to have time together. And you don't kind of inflict guilt. If, if, you know what, what good friends are like? really good friends, you can be apart from them for an extended length of time and then you have an opportunity to get together and it's like you've been together the whole time. Sometimes good friendships are not based on how often you're together, but the connection you make when you are together. And you respect the boundaries and the demands on their life so that you don't make their life harder You make their life easier. Well, here's another mark. You have unquestioned confidence to confide in one another, and you never break that sacred trust. 
a good friend, you could tell them anything in your life, anything that, that you want no one else to know, and they're never going to break that confidence. They would never betray that trust. I mean, you could give them access to all your bank accounts, you could, whatever you, and they would never break that trust. Trustworthy friends. Well, one more, one more. You're not easily offended, and when you are, you're quick to forgive and move on together. Godly friends don't hold grudges. Godly friends have short memories of offenses. Godly friends don't go around with a chip on their shoulder because real love causes you to forgive and be willing to truly forget. We're all going to step on one another's toes sometimes, aren't we? We're all going to offend, and most of the time we don't mean to. Sometimes we do. But godly friendships are between people who are willing to forgive, forget, and move on together. Back when I was a teenager... One of the football players that I loved to watch was a running back for the Chicago Bears, Bears named Gail Sayers. And if you're a longtime football fan, that name may be familiar to you. But uh, and by the way, I'll never forget uh, a game. I think I think maybe you and I were at this game together. It was an exhibition game between the Houston Oilers and the Chicago Bears, and Gale Sayers ran back a kickoff 101 yards. You remember that? I mean, he was an awesome player and a great man. Went to the University of Kansas. They called him the Kansas Comet. Well, when he came to the Chicago Bears, he made a friend. Uh, it was a fellow running back. In fact, he was his blocking back. His name was Brian Piccolo. And this friendship was unusual because Gail Sayers was black. He had never had a white friend. Brian Piccolo was white. He never had a black friend. And yet they became good friends. They were roommates on the, the road. They just really, you know, you know how it is with good friends? You just bond, yeah. And, and that was what happened between Gail Sayers and, and Brian Piccolo. And uh, I guess it was about the 1967 or 68 season when Brian Piccolo was diagnosed with cancer. And it was about the time that, that Gail Sayers uh, had a severe knee injury and was out the, the rest of the year. And that, that next year, Gail came back after ACL surgery and had a, a tremendous year. And uh, he was uh, picked to receive what they call the George S. Hallis Award uh, that describes, quote, the most courageous player in professional football. And it was a big deal. There was a big uh, banquet, the Professional Football Writers Banquet in New York City. Uh, But Gail Sayers' friend, Brian Piccolo, couldn't be there that night because his cancer had progressed to the point that he was homesick and he really wasn't far from death. And so that night, this very prestigious black tie event The introduction was given to the presentation of this award, and to thunderous applause, Gail Sayers walked to the 
the speaker stand, was handed the award, and here was his acceptance speech. You flatter me by giving me this award, but I tell you here and now that I accept it for Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo is the man of courage who should receive the George S. Hallis Award. I love Brian Piccolo, and I'd like you to love him too. Tonight, when you hit your knees, please ask God to love him too. It was not long after that Gail's friend, Brian Piccolo, died of cancer. But their friendship has been an inspiration to many people all these years since. We are to love our good friends. So here's the next step I want to challenge you to take with the truth from this passage today. Find someone this week who needs to be loved like Jesus has loved you. Find someone this week who needs to be loved like Jesus has loved you. To leave the the throne of heaven to come to this sin-cursed planet as a human being, to live a life without sin, to die a death he didn't deserve, to fulfill your mission to redeem us a mission without which we would still be lost and would be facing an eternity of the punishment we deserve. And yet, because of your great love and the grace of God that has become ours through our faith in Christ, we now belong to you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has heard this message that does not yet belong to you because they've not yet put their faith in you, I pray that they would understand from the the voice of your Spirit how much you love them and what your Son did for them so that they, they could trust him by faith and let all that he did upon the cross apply to their soul and that they too could become a child of God, a part of the family of faith, an ambassador of the gospel. Lord Jesus, help us who know you. Help us to follow you, to take seriously your command, and to be people who show love, love to our family, Love to those in the church. Love to those who do not yet know you. Love to those special people in our lives you've given us as close friends. May the love of Jesus live in us to the honor and glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.